And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today, Dr. John Vance. Hello, Dan. And also, Dr. Hans Vogt. Hi, Dan. Well, gentlemen, it's great to have you here today. Today is a special day. It is the day before the 10th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. And uh, in some ways, it seems like this time has gone so fast, it's already 10 years. It seems like just yesterday. Hans, I'm wondering if you could uh, share with our listeners a, a short summary of what happened on that day. Well, many people remember it being a beautiful morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, picture perfect in many ways, but on 846 that morning... An airliner traveling hundreds of miles an hour, carrying 10,000 gallons of jet fuel, plowed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center, New York City. In 9.03, a second airliner hit the South Tower. At 9.37, a third airliner slammed into the Pentagon. At 10.03, a fourth airliner crashed in a field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. A plane that apparently had been aimed at either the U.S. Capitol or the White House, but mm-hmm. had been brought down as passengers struggled to regain their craft from the uh, hijackers. More than 2,600 people died at the World Trade Center. 125 died at the Pentagon. And 256 died on those four airplanes. The death toll from that was worse than that of Pearl Harbor hmm. on December 7th, 1941. Yes. There's, um, I'm sure, people out there today that um, have either lost a loved one in this or a, a friend of a loved one, and uh, our hearts go out to them even even today. In this area, of course, uh, we, we uh, are familiar with a number of families and uh, that lost loved ones who were there to to rescue people, firefighters, policemen. Yeah, uh, there were police personnel uh, that died. Many, many, many in fire. And I know in Orange County alone, where I'm from, uh, Orange County, New York, uh, a number of uh, these uh, families exist, where the father or maybe uh, mother or daughter or son uh, lost their lives in that. Uh, attempt to rescue people. Yeah. Yeah, the closer you get to the city, more likely it is that someone knows somebody or maybe even their own family that lost their life that day. I do recall not being able to figure out what was going on right away. Uh, at first it looked like, okay, a plane struck into this this tower, World mm-hmm. Trade Tower, Tower 1. And then when the other one hit, then you knew, uh-oh, this this is something's terribly fishy here. Something is terribly wrong. I was I was a very memorable morning for me. I was uh, in another room, and my wife was uh, in the living room watching uh, television. I believe it was uh, ABC uh, News mm-hmm. in the morning on television. And she says, "Come in here, look. A, a, a plane has hit the World Trade Center." Yeah. And we were standing there watching that when we uh, saw the other plane come in. Mm. And, of course, immediately it registered with me, this could not be accidental. This is an attack. And this had to be an attack uh, from the radicals that we had been reading about Yes, uh, at that time. Yes. 
I was living in Illinois at the time, teaching at a Christian college out there, and um, my wife and I had gone to the gym for a morning workout, and we leave the radio on for the dog we had at the time, like to have the radio on, and we left it on a Christian station for him, so he'd get oh, some... Oh, it's a Christian thing. dog. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we come back, and uh, the announcer was praying, mm. and uh, I think I even remember making a joke, to said something to the dog about, oh, you'll get some religion now, and... After a minute, my wife was listening to the prayer and said, Hans, you need to turn on the TV. Something very bad has happened. Oh, dear. Yes, yes. And uh, there was a a feeling of helplessness, too, because, uh, you know, here we were. There's nothing you could do about it. These giant jetliners smashing into buildings. Um, The news desks around the nation struggled to handle the volume of stories that start to pile in. You, You start worrying about your family. You think, okay, what's next? You know, the, we're we're you finally it dawns on us we're under attack. You say, okay, what's next? Is there anything I should be doing? Um, it was um, it was quite a time. We had just found out that my wife was pregnant with her first child, and I remember you know yes. we, we were saying to each other, what, what kind of a world are we going to be? That's right. bringing this child into. That's exactly right. And it was a shock. Uh, we learned of it probably about the same times our President Bush did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can remember seeing him on television getting the news, as many of us had already heard uh, or suspected that something was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so this took the country uh, off guard. We were off guard. We were. And I, I feel like we were, we were more vulnerable than what we thought we were. Mm-hmm. Now, um, that's a short summary of what happened on that day. Um, quickly, I want to just mention that uh, our appreciation and really love for um, the first responders, uh, the firemen, the police, the EMS personnel, uh, the communication folks, uh, the list goes on and on. And many of these folks laid down their lives trying to save others. And um, I'm reminded of that Bible verse, no greater love mm-hmm. hath any man than this than to lay down his life. For his friend. Why did, um, before we take a short break, is it possible for us to discuss um, and come to some kind of conclusion as to why did this happen? Well, we know it was the work of a uh, radical Islamist group known as Al Qaeda. Al Qaeda has its origins in Afghanistan in the uh, early 1980s. Uh, there was a, a war going on in Afghanistan as um, rebel forces in Afghanistan were trying to drive out the Soviets who had uh, taken control of the country. And uh, among those volunteers from across the Arab world who, who showed up there was a wealthy Saudi named Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. And uh, he organized, uh, along with others, of course, al-Qaeda to try to do the same kind of thing elsewhere in the Arab world that they wound up successfully doing in Afghanistan, which was, in his mind, jihad or holy war. Mm -hmm. The idea of driving out foreign invaders. Ultimately, the goal was to unite the entire Muslim world, uh, restore the caliphate, the idea of the, the unity of the Muslim world, and then proceed onward from there in spreading uh, their religion by force. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is important to remember that uh, that uh, Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda are Sunni 
uh, part of the Sunni or uh, religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not Shia, and uh, maybe after the break we can discuss that. It is important. They do have two different visions, right. equally radical, but uh, two different visions about uh, the future. Mm. Okay, we'll do that. Um, you're listening to A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Today in the studio, Dr. John Vance and Dr. Hans Vogt. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Today we're talking about 9-11. It was 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago today, that that terrible tragedy occurred here in the United States of America, a terrorist attack. Before the break, John, you mentioned something about the differences between the Sunni and the Shia religions. That may be a good place for us to pick up and uh, continue our discussion. There is a difference, a a lot of differences between Sunni and Shia, and they have been fighting for centuries, of course, and uh, uh, the only thing that unites them once in a while is maybe an exterior force, and then they will speak with one voice. But it is true that Sunni hardly consider Shia Muslims, and uh, I don't know whether it's vice versa or not, but the the differences go back uh, to the idea of who succeed uh, Muhammad. Hmm. Uh, the word Khalifa or Caliph means successor, and they uh, immediately begin to dispute over who should succeed Muhammad. Uh, the Sunni thought that the community could elect its own, and uh, Akbar was the first elected successor to Muhammad, and he was a Sunni. 
uh, the Shia thought it should be blood, and the fourth caliph, or khalifa, was Ali, who happened to be uh, a nephew and a son-in-law of Muhammad. I believe son-in-law, nephew anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so that dispute was never settled and is not today. And there are many other reasons, but culturally they're quite different. The Sunni are Arabs and the Shia are Persians. The Sunnis uh, comprise about 88-89% of all Muslims, whereas the uh, Shia probably 11-12%. Mm-hmm. So that's really the big difference, uh, those things that I've pointed out, the big differences between them. There are all kinds of others, of course. What was um, the leadership in Iraq? The leadership in Iraq was a political leadership, Ba'athist party leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saddam Hussein was a Ba'athist uh, and it's it's somewhat uh, a bit different, um, hmm. but it's more of a political party. Uh, nonetheless, uh, he was came from the Sunni side, and okay. uh, was quite uh, quite uh, uh, vigorous in his suppression of the Shia minority in the South. Uh, terrible suppression of the Shia. Mm-hmm. And I seem to recall that he killed many people. I think oh. 300,000 Shia he killed yeah, in his party, yeah. yeah. And okay. a lot of the conflict in that country over the past 10 years has been civil war, basically, between the Sunni and Shia. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. And, now, and uh, Iran is supporting the Shia, of course. I was going to ask that next. <laughs> okay, that is helpful. We're talking about 9-11 today, and tomorrow, of course, is the 10th anniversary of that terrorist attack. Um, many people are still hurting uh, even even today, as they reflect back on the loss of their loved ones or friends of their loved ones, um, where does God fit in all of this? What about uh, the sovereignty of God? Uh, he's almighty. Um, does he stand idly by? Help us understand that. Well, that's a complex uh, question in some ways to explain, but basically Christians believe in the sovereignty of God, that he is in charge and that things are not out of control. Uh, I love the, 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 the simple phrase. Sometimes there's great truth in simple phrases that we use as Christians. And um, one that comes to mind that's been of great comfort to many, many people is I, I don't know what the future holds, but I know him who holds the future. Mm-hmm. And that really is what the sovereignty of God is about. Um, the future really is not just simply left up to our sinful politics and disputes and uh, the injustices that we see or political leadership that devises and makes plans. The future really is in God's hands, mm, amen. under his providence. Yeah. Many aspects of that sovereignty of God is uh, beyond our understanding. Um, we can affirm his sovereignty. It doesn't mean we have to understand everything about it either. The, the great hymn, God Works in a Mysterious Way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who, can, who can ferret out or fathom or penetrate the future? Mm-hmm. Um, and I will be the first to say I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. I, <laughs> I trust the promises of Scripture for the future, that yeah. God will be with us and he will never leave us or forsake us. Mm-hmm. Now, um, getting back to um, the uh, historical understanding of uh, 9-11, 
Uh, we talked about uh, a short summary of it. And, uh, you know, before we opened the mic, we were also starting to discuss a little bit about existing exposures uh, after this tragedy. Hans, could you share with us, I think there was a commission uh, to study this whole thing, and what has happened there? Right. There was a, as usually referred to as a 9-11 commission, uh, bipartisan commission to, to study afterwards. And uh, by most accounts, they did a, a, an even-handed job, I think, in uh, um, trying to figure out what happened um, within the limits of what's politically yeah. possible in Washington, of course. <laughs> I uh, have to always issue that caveat. But, yes. um, you know, some of the things they pointed out um, have been addressed. You know, there is much better, mm-hmm. not perfect, but I think much better sharing between the various intelligence agencies. Okay. Um, of which there are about 18 in the U.S. government alone. Mm-hmm. Um, 18? Yes. Oh, don't get me going down <laughs> that path. Okay. Um, the, certainly, security has been tightened in in a... More, I think, on the airplane side, I think an ongoing concern is the um, sea transportation, um, the the freight that comes into the containers that come into this country daily in the large ports that still really are not thoroughly checked. Okay. Yeah. Um, but one area of concern, and, and actually the um, Tom Kane and Lee Jordan, who co-chaired the 9-11 Commission, have been on the air recently talking about this. One of the simplest problems they identified to fix that still has not been fixed is the issue of communication um that first responders the various emergency personnel police and fire and so forth don't have a dedicated shared frequency that they can use it's a relatively simple fix give them a slice of bandwidth and uh and designate it and designate it but this has been locked up in congress for years now as they wrangle over um, yeah. You know, this is very valuable bandwidth, as you know, is very valuable oh, stuff, yes. and uh, they hate to give away anything without uh, uh, there being some uh, money That's changing hands on it. But yeah, th- and this has been an issue since nine eleven. It was an issue with Katrina and the responses to Katrina yeah. and uh, other disasters since. So it's interesting. I was sharing also before we opened the mic, um, John, before you walked in the room. How that, um, with the recent flooding and hurricane that we had, I was riding around with my brother one day, and, you know, he's a first responder. <clears throat> he's also a, a assistant chief in the local fire department and all that. And um, he's got, like, four microphones in his truck. You know, there, there's to this day, there's different bands, and, and that has a purpose, but it reminds you of how that there does need to be one set aside for a 9-11 type uh, scenario. Communications in general happens to be a problem during any kind of trouble that breaks out. Yeah. So happens that my wife and I were returning from vacation on the day that the uh, earthquake took place in Virginia. We were driving up the Shenandoah Valley. We heard about it on the radio, and we tried to call people, and our cell phones were out. Oh, yes. Yeah, Dropped our cell exactly. phones. Now, I don't quite know all the reasons why, but apparently mm-hmm. it was overloaded in some way. This uh, tremendous capacity to communicate we have is also very fragile. It is. And uh, I think Hans is right to point out, uh, especially this problem of not having dedicated uh, way to communicate mm-hmm. for our first responders is a serious matter. Yeah, needs to be dealt with. Well, as we continue looking at this, um, let's think a little bit more as to uh, why we were so taken by surprise. Uh, Maybe you could talk to that a little bit. 
That's something that, um, of course, has been analyzed quite a bit. Uh, and certainly this was not the first terrorist attack. Uh, many uh, of our listeners probably remember in February of 1993, there was an attempt to bring down the World Trade Center with a car bomb or a truck bomb. Yeah. Uh, there have, were plans over the years. There was a, a plan by Ramzi Youssef in 1995 to blow up airliners over the ocean. Mm. Um, there was the attack on the USS Cole, uh, the attack on the um, Kobar Towers, um, uh, a number of incidents. And, uh, in fact, uh, the CIA director, George Tenet, said the system was blinking red. Mm. Um, what seems to have been the case, uh, the, the 9-11 Commission refers to it as a failure of imagination. Um, that is, they were anticipating a major attack, it seems, um, in the summer, late summer of 2011, but were anticipating it overseas. Uh, and uh, we're not yeah. as fully tuned in. And again, the problem of communication where you had different agents monitoring different cells or individuals who were suspects in the U.S., but not communicating with each other. And not until afterwards were these disparate pieces of information put together to say, oh, mm -hmm. now we see what the puzzle looks like. Mm -hmm. um, well, having uh, 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 in the past taught a great deal uh, of courses in, in world religion and so forth, I was keenly aware of Osama bin Laden from the 80s when he was a quite a young man. I remember a front-page article uh, in the news magazine. In the He was on the front cover of the New York Times Sunday news magazine. Hmm. I don't know what year, but it was in the 80s. Uh, but I had knew about him before then. And I thought the article then was very informative. Uh, so I had kept up with what was going on in um, the Middle East and other parts of the world mm -hmm. religiously. And so uh, I must say, uh, uh, someone who was focused on that aspect probably would have been quite alarmed. The huh. only thing that would have kept us from thinking that uh, attacks in a major way were, were not going to happen on this shore is a sense of... We've never been attacked that way. We were attacked, of course, in World War II in Pearl Harbor, but that was an island. Yeah. Uh, never the mainland. We were never overly concerned about it, even in World War II when there were a couple of threats. But the political religious turmoil around the world eventually had to spill over. And I think there's one major reason that it, there was not widespread concern, and that is political correctness. There was simply not the willpower to look mm -hmm. at what was going on through objective eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, there's always an attempt to tamp down extremism in this country. Uh, and so, therefore, I think political correctness is the way that that is done. And, and of course... Uh, the extremism uh, in this country is not extreme by world standards, let me tell you. Mm -hmm. uh, nonetheless, I do believe that there were colored glasses, or rose-colored glasses, placed on a lot of our political leaders in particular who just simply didn't want to face up to really what was going on. I think that's true. I think there was a, you know, if you recall in the 1990s, it's almost hard to imagine now, but... There was this sense of national euphoria when the Cold War ended. You know, if you think back 20 years ago, the, the Berlin Wall came down yeah. and the Soviet Union collapsed and it 
mostly happened without bloodshed and there was just some ridiculous things being written about the end of history and uh, and now we're never going to have problems economically again and we're going to have all this peace dividend that we can spend somewhere else yes, we don't indeed. have to spend on the military um, and I think a lot of that rose-colored thinking was, was still mm. prevalent and uh, I think you're right a, an, an unwillingness to uh, meet the challenges or take them as seriously as they perhaps should have been taken. What was taking place in the Middle East was that there is a new kind of uh, Nazism arising. Really, that's mm-hmm. what happened uh, with these radicals. The, mm-hmm. They operate very much the same way, had very much the same ideology uh, in many and various ways. Now, I know you have to change it. There's a fancy Latin word called mutatus mutandus, which means with the necessary changes. Mm-hmm. But if you, f- if you just see the dynamic at work change some of the labels and uh, we have a real problem Uh, I do see uh, the extremists as being uh, very very radical and I would hate to see them ever get a state Mm -hmm. now gentlemen I just looked at the clock here and I realized oops we're out of time for this uh, edition of a plain answer just a really quick wrap up thought from each of you and that'll be it for today well, I think looking forward, um, we need to be certainly taking these threats seriously with the proper vigilance. We need to address the things like communication we talked about that still have mm-hmm. not been resolved. Um, but also to remember, um, as Dr. Vance did a great job of saying earlier, that ultimately uh, it is in God's sovereignty, and we can rest in that assurance of His sovereign grace. Mm-hmm. Amen. Uh, I also think that uh, uh, we have to take seriously the sinfulness of human beings, or what Francis Schaeffer used to call uh, man's inhumanity to man. And uh, we live in a real fallen world, and we must always uh, take uh, the fall seriously, and this certainly fits into that theologically. Amen to that. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. This has been A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. In the studio has been Dr. John Vance and Dr. Hans Vogt. If you have a question for either of these fine gentlemen, please email us. Our address is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. And a reminder to please join us again next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 